We're not looking to squeeze money out of people. We're looking to, again, solve a problem. And trust me, that guy's not going to miss 20 grand to be out of there. Well, this guy <laughs> did. Okay. <laughs> Guys, welcome to this video. I'm really excited to be sitting down with Jeremy Davis. Jeremy, how are you? I'm uh, awesome. Thank you very much for having me. And Jeremy is a local investor here in the Salt Lake market. Absolutely. I met you through Pace Morby, one of my best friends ever. Love Pace. And he thinks so highly of you. You actually uh, help quite a bit with his sub two community mm -hmm. and and are one of the you know main leaders in that community. So it's exciting to kind of see what you're doing here in Salt Lake. And we happen to be in town for a little while. And so we're sitting down with this interview and it's been great to get to know you, exciting to hear some of the things you're doing. And we were just talking about like all the different opportunities going on right now and what's working, what's not working. And I told Tyler, I'm like, Tyler, what are we doing? Turn the camera on. This is like amazing content. So I'm sorry you missed the past 20 minutes of us talking. But, uh, but Jeremy, I really wanted to share with everybody um, some of the things that you're doing today in this market on the acquisition side, mm -hmm. because if you're into wholesale real estate or whatever strategy, but if you're into acquisition, so you've got multiple exit strategies, but acquisitions is a big part of your business model. Mine too. I kind of have the belief, maybe you do too, that if I can control the acquisition side, then I can keep all the meat on the bone on the deals I want. I can then dispo and wholesale out the deals I don't want right. or maybe don't have quite the margins I like where someone else is okay with those margins. And just owning the, the, the way to get into deals is I think you have so many more opportunities versus if you just you know acquire from an agent or acquire from Absolutely. a wholesaler. Um, so right now, a very popular acquisition strategy is agent outreach. Yeah. And we do none of that. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm very much against it. Okay. And let me, let me explain. I know that you're, yeah. you're for it. Um, yeah, but I'd love to hear your perspective. So, so, so agent outreach, um, we tried to do a lot of that, like for the past couple of years while COVID was happening. And um, every single agent we talked to was like talking to a brick wall. Mm -hmm. um, everything sold for $100,000 mm -hmm. over asking. I mean, the Salt Lake area, there was a point we were at 33% appreciation month over month. That yeah. meant a $500,000 home. Someone could literally buy that house for $500,000, burn down half the property, and six <laughs> months later make 90000 back in equity. It was a very unhealthy yeah. market here. Um, it was great for realtors yeah. because they literally could list anything and would just sell, sell, sell. And, and they, they, they thought they were magical. They thought yeah. that whatever they did, they, you know, whatever they touched turned to gold. And so we realized that we're never really going to successfully scale an acquisition company mm -hmm. by doing agent outreach. It's good to uh, to start with that because it's again, it's a free method. You can go on Zillow, you can find phone mm -hmm. numbers. You don't have to do any skip tracing. None of the hard stuff needs to happen with agent outreach. But we realize that you know, as you were mentioning, to get the margins direct to seller is the only way to go. You to have get the to big margins exactly. Yeah. You have to identify the pain points. You have to solve their problems. It's you know, it's it's about urgency. It's about fixing what they're been what they're going through and what they've been going mm -hmm. through. And that's where you make your money. That's where yeah. you know wholesalers make their money. It's it's funny that there's so many people like when I create content, and there's people in the comments that are just trolling, saying like, "Oh, so you swindle them out of twenty thousand yeah. dollars?" We are not buying properties; we're buying problems, and yeah. it's that's where um, you know, for me, on a on a personal note why I, I enjoy foreclosures so much is going back to my childhood. My family lost their homes twice to foreclosure and then mm. once to eviction. Um, I don't have any of my childhood belongings, no childhood photos. There's no history of me anytime before I was 12 years old. Because it got kicked to the curb? It, it all got kicked to the curb. I remember one bank let a woman help us pack up the house uh, while everything was getting removed out. 
And most of it just got all thrown away. Mm. And um, the, the final time that my family got foreclosed on, um, and my dad, he worked really hard. He did. It, it mm. was just, he couldn't financially get on top of, you know, back on his feet after the first one and the second one and so on and so forth. And, um, and so they actually packed up all of our belongings. My family, my parents moved up to Washington, cheaper to live. That I was actually from Los Angeles. And so okay. it was more expensive. And um, they couldn't even afford to pay the moving company for mm. the truck. And the truck just threw everything away. So every belonging we've ever had was just basically thrown mm. away. And I said, when I got started in real estate, once I learned about pre-foreclosures and, and tax sales, there was a, almost an emotional goal for me mm. to try to help those families the most I can. And so whenever I approach them, whether it be face-to-face or whether it be for a phone call or SMS, I'm always coming at it with, let me help you understand how to save your house first and foremost. Yeah. And if I can be plan B, where the bank is not taking your house, but yeah. allowing you to get your equity out of your property, I want to be that person you can lean on. So, Yeah, I think the best approach is you, you, you be an advisor and you say, look, Let's just kind of let me let me kind of show you all the different options you have mm-hmm. and then help you pick the best one. And if the best one happens to be me, great. If it's not, that's OK, too. That goes so much further yep. in building trust. And and really, at the end of the day, you know, like, do you want to put somebody in a deal that's not the best move for them? Right. Probably not. That's not how you want to really like, why are we doing this? Right. If. if that's how you go to sleep at night. We're not looking to squeeze money out of people. We're looking to, again, solve a problem. Yeah. And there's been many times, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that people down at the 11th hour is usually when they'll, they'll pull their head out of the sand like yeah. an ostrich. Mm-hmm. We also see there's another um, avatar out there that is the person that has been abusing the system and filing bankruptcy and bankruptcy and bankruptcy for a number of years. And we, we have a lot of conversations with those people right now because you had forbearance for a while mm-hmm. there and you've had all the different chapter 13s and they, they know the system. Eviction so well. laws, they, they're, all they're professional tenants. Exa- yeah. Exactly right. And so we've had a couple of those. And now, now luckily, since we've done it a few different times, I can identify those types of people right away. Um, but in the beginning, it was like, I'm helping them stop the auction. I get in there. I delay it. I, we we have a purchase agreement. We're ready to go. And then they start to ghost us because they think to themselves, I've stopped this before. We can do this again. We can do this again. And so the other day, um, actually about a, about two weeks ago, I went to the courthouse steps to still try to help this family, not mm. the husband. Screw the husband. Mm-hmm. He was an, he was an ass. But the family, they had mm. uh, they had three autistic children, mm. and financially they they were having a very hard time. Well, we. We're working with this family. We got them under contract. We were going to be buying the property. And out of nowhere, a am just going to say this, a um, predatory lender mm. came into the scene and said that he will pay off their um, arrears, reinstate their loan, and allow them to live in the property with just them paying like $100 a month to him for the amount. It's, it's clear that was extremely predatory. And here's the worst part about it was we were under contract with them. Mm. What was predatory about that structure? Because he knew they weren't going to be able to pay more. Um, yeah, they, he, can, they couldn't afford to pay $1,600 and he was asking them to pay like $2,000 a month. Okay. And so he knew he would end up taking the property back and all the equity and everything. Exactly right. And, and so not only does he lie to them about like, you know, right, raising their hopes, but he also tells them not to go to the closing table with us. Yeah. So he's coaching them on how to 
not honor their original contract with you, which exactly. is super shady. Yep, yeah. super shady. And we also had a notice of interest filed. Okay, um, so it wouldn't have worked anyway. Yeah. Um, so no- guys, what he's talking about there is he's, he put a cloud on title that you had a contract so that they can't do a backdoor. I call it being backdoored. Exactly. So the seller can't backdoor because um, you have an affidavit or you file an interest. It's, on it's either a notice of interest. It's a memorandum of agreement. Yep. It's it's basically you are raising your hand to the county and saying, I'm here to buy this property. Um, this is my fire hydrant and I'm going to piss on it. Mm-hmm. And this is my territory. And like, just, you know, I'm here to buy this property. And what that does is it stops other people and uh, other investors from coming in and saying, um, you know what? Oh, Jeremy wants to offer you 10,000. I'm going to offer you 15,000 mm-hmm. because the last thing we want to do is put in a lot of hard work and get the money and bring in all the funds and then have somebody just come in and just backdoor us every single day. Yeah. So we file a notice of interest basically on every contract. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not about, do we trust the seller? It's just, uh, it's part of our SOP. We do yep. it every single time. And, um, so we had a, a notice of interest filed and, we're down to the wire. And then the, um, the, the seller says to me, will you let me, um, buy from you and, or I'm sorry, uh, sell to you. And I go, you never even gave us the payoff statement. We've been under contract with you for two weeks. We don't have anything available. And the auction is in two hours. <laughs> so I actually, um, this is not normal, but working with hard money, typically they're not going to give you money to go to an auction. Yeah. But um, if, it's a, if it's a good deal and you've already underwritten it, you already know the, the property and stuff like that. I went there with my $20,000 cashier check, showed up at the courthouse steps and uh, tried to actually buy the property and fulfill the original agreement that I wanted to have with the seller. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I got and the out. price was twenty thousand. Oh, I mean, I think I think we were going to be giving the seller something like sixty thousand in equity. Uh-huh. I think something like that. Um, but this, you had to buy it at the auction for the opening bid amount, right? Opening bid amount was about sixty thousand dollars less, and it went even higher than sixty. Yeah, because people knew it was a deal. Yeah. So 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 you didn't get it. Someone outbid. Did not it. get yeah. it. I got outbid, and that's okay. And and here's the beauty of that is that. It's not a loss for the seller because that money is still available to them. They can still collect that, you know, whatever it's the debt payoff and whatever is, is brought in above that amount, the seller is able to claim redeem. that amount. They, exactly. can re- they can redeem. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, how long is the redemption? I, you know what? I'll be honest. I don't know what the, the redemption okay. time limit is in Utah. Everywhere. Every state's going to be a little different. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, the, the downside is they've got the foreclosure on their record, uh, the other downside is they're getting evicted from the property, but the upside is they get uh, a lot more equity than we were going to offer them. Mm. So it's a it's a give or take. Yeah. So it really is about trying to do the right thing. The one thing, Jeremy, that I love about your business model, and I try to preach this all the time on my channel, is not to be a one trick pony, meaning, you know, you got your low cash offer and that's your only play in your right. playbook. Uh, that's fine if it is, but you're going to be missing a lot more opportunity, which is why you do a lot of creative I mean, just the fact that you took that one deal and you're like, you know what? I could take this down and do a Burr method mm-hmm. and keep it. And I understand enough about other strategies to where now I can evaluate this deal as a Burr deal that I could actually do and it would be a deal worth keeping. Therefore, here's my new number to let this deal go. Right. Like, here's my assignment number. If I can get this, I'll let it go. If I don't get this, I'll keep it. And just having those options available puts you in the driver's seat in your business. Absolutely right. And, th- and that's why like we're, we're looking at, you know, you, we spend the money on acquisitions, right? We, we do lead generation. It's expensive, especially doing PPC. You got a team, you got overhead, 
a lead comes in and if you don't have multiple ways to take down a deal or contract a deal and you can see there's a lot of different ways we could right. exit this deal, including keep it, then you're going to really limit yourself in the business and, and waste the money on those leads. So as I was mentioning that in Utah, when COVID was taking place, <laughs> the, the appreciation here was so rapid that cash offers were really the only strategy you can use. Um, creative finance, subject to seller finance, it was few and far between. Yeah. I mean, sure we had the conversations, but even sellers, because sellers were getting hammered by every wholesaler and every investor every single day because yeah. Salt Lake was so hot. Um, they knew their their house was made of yeah. gold. They were yeah, they were in the driver's seat the entire time. Right. Yeah. And and so with giving a cash offer before, there was there was a property that when I was basing my formula off of the typical wholesale formula, you know, 70% ARV, minus repairs, repairs yeah. all that kind of stuff. I think my maximum allowable offer without an assignment fee was 290 and that property sold for 415. Yeah. Like I and this is in the beginning stages. So I was learning about it and like then I started to adapt to the market. And I stopped mm-hmm. I stopped listening to the formula and mm-hmm. I started like paying attention to how things were selling. Um but, you know, 2 years ago or before the market shifted, cash offers, you could almost give them what they wanted because you you yourself or the buyer at the end would know that that property was going to appreciate and make yeah. money. And so now we're coming at this with um, with option purchases. We're coming at it with subject to seller finance, novations. Mm-hmm. It's you can't just be a one trick pony. It's the as you just. I'm just going to repeat what you just said. Acquisitions is about identifying the seller. Mm-hmm. It's identifying the problem, and you are there to solve that issue and be able to say, "Hey, I'm going to come in with a cash offer first. If that's a number that works for you, awesome. Let's go ahead with it. Mm-hmm. If it's not, let's talk about some form some of other options." Finance and, yeah. yeah, I like to call it, uh, you know, anchor with your cash offer because you want to establish a baseline, always. right? And you always establish your baseline with a seller with the low cash offer. Mm-hmm. Because if you can get that low cash offer, you're going to take that because that's going to give right. you the most flexibility on your exit because you got a big discount, right? And so then you anchor with that. But then when they say, you know what, I, I either don't have the equity or I'm not willing to come down to that low cash offer. Okay, well, now I have other options in my playbook right. that we can look at that will still make money and yep. monetize and solve your problem. Can I can I tell you about one of my favorite deals that we're, we're wrapping up right now? Like it's yeah. been a year and a half process. Uh, there was a seller that this was when I was in the very beginning stages of me wholesaling. I was learning about list stacking, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh-huh. list stacking where you're basically identifying one address and you're identifying a bunch of different problems they may be experiencing. So maybe this is on tax delinquency. Maybe it's an absentee owner. Like and I just literally filtered for what addresses have the most amount of pain points on my mm-hmm. list. And there was one property that had eight different pain points. Mm. I went on to True People Search, mm-hmm. um, a free website, and I just put in the address and I get a phone number. And I call that phone number. And this is, again, in the very beginning. And the person who's living in the property answers. And I just literally, I, I have a, a simple conversation with him. He goes, yeah, I, I used to be a fly fishing guide and now I don't have a job. And I'm, this is my grandparents' house and they passed away. Um, and I ended up having conversations with them for about six months. And it wasn't until one of my acquisition managers- just kept following up. Kept following up. And it never really went anywhere until one of my acquisition managers, who was a fly fishing guide, he actually owns a lodge up in Alaska, a really good friend of mine. He gets in a conversation with him and goes, wait, you did fly fishing? This is all about what I do. And the rapport connected immediately. So another year goes by and we're following up with this seller and and now we're friends. And um, the seller then calls me one day and says, 
I just had somebody knock on my door and said that my house is going to auction. Are you aware of this? And I'm like, I haven't been following up with you, man. Like mm-hmm. I not, I'm not stalking your, your public <laughs> records. Um, and he goes, well, they offered me to buy the house and let me live in here for one year for free. And I said, ideally, I don't really like that, but if we can make the price work, he goes, I don't care about their price. I care about working with you, Jeremy, because I, I like you, your team Mm -hmm. is a good, is a good team to work with. And, um, and so we, we got them under contract at 150. And so at 150, we had enough equity in the deal. Um, the, what it turned out to be was the grandparents passed away, left the property to the father, um, before they passed away. This was not probate. So it left the, the property to the father. And then the father died before the mortgage was able to transfer to anybody. So the son had been living in this property through all of forbearance for about a year and a half without making a single payment. Mm. And now it finally caught up to him. So I let him live in there for a year and a half, completely free rent. And you had to do the rears, catch up everything. Everything. Yeah. Caught, caught up everything. Uh, no, actually, I take the back. Sorry. <clears throat> this was not a subject to purchase. This was, okay. this was a cash deal. Okay. So I went in with hard money and with hard money, you typically want to find like they'll fund 75 to 80%. 80%. Yeah. Right. So with 80%, <laughs> I had enough equity in the deal at the purchase price of 150 to where I'm bringing the 20% virtually and they're bringing the other 80%. So I had a hard money lender, great guy out here that um, allowed me to purchase the property and pay off all the interest on the back end. So 150 on, on a year, on a year. Because your hard money loan that you got to pay a monthly payment, he wants to live there for free. So you basically figured out, okay, well, here's a year's worth of interest. Yep. He'll he'll defer it. Yep. So it'd be defer payments until the end. Exactly right. And then you'll owe that lump sum over the year. Right. Then, which is great because it didn't it didn't cause you any cash flow. Zero dollars out of pocket. Right. Um, and and again, that goes back into relationships and real estate. It's all about relationships. It's mm-hmm. and it's it's also about asking questions. That you may get a no answer, but at the same time, you may get a yes answer. And he looked at the deal and he goes, there's so much equity in this deal. I'm protected. Yeah. Sure. Like, don't, you don't have to pay me monthly. Like, we'll wait till the end of the year. So, um, so finally the, the seller moves out and, um, we have been rehabbing the property. The property just appraised for $410,000. We are all in for 230. Um, and, uh, we, so that's 150 purchase plus whatever rehab. Now, are you also including the year of, of deferred interest. So yeah, so sorry, let me let me rephrase that. Uh interest and the original purchase price came to about one third or one eighty. Okay. But and this is something that I was leaving out and you may or may not want to include this. Um we also put a little bit of money in an escrow account to say if you don't move out by this date, you're going to be releasing some money back. Uh, Holdback agreement. Exactly. Yeah. So we ended up actually guys did you catch that? You never give somebody occupancy without holding back proceeds as an incentive to move out. Right. So I just did a deal where um, where they needed, so we we had a closing date, they needed 30 days because they were, they were buying another property with those proceeds. Mm-hmm. They had to identify the new property, but they needed a little bit of time to right. move, right? So I hold back $10,000. Well, then the closing date's coming up and they're realizing, I don't know if we're gonna meet the 30 days. So they came back and said, hey, we'd really like 45 days. We'd like another 15 days. And I said, you know what? Totally fine, but we're changing, we're changing the holdback from ten thousand to twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I did that is I'm like, and I made it very clear. I said to the seller, "You do realize I want to be clear on you. I'm not. You're not renting back from me. I'm holding money out of your proceeds, 
And if you're not out of that house and it's broom swept clean, this is in our contract. If it's not clean and you're out on the 15th, right, this date, then you lose that $20,000. Are you clear about this? And he's like, I get it. I'll be out. And trust me, that guy's not going to miss 20 grand to be out of there. (laughs) Well, this guy did. Okay. How much did you hold back? uh, We held back 30,000 and we ended up taking 21,000 out. So, so you gave him a little or bit. Or 23,000, I'm sorry. Yeah. So we gave him a little bit. And, and really it was a matter of, there's also, it's not just for our protection. It's also for their protection. Why was he not out? Um, I mean, this was a hoarder house. This okay. was a, he couldn't. Yeah. yeah. This was a very bad situation. Yeah. There was a lot of mental health issues there as what I learned down. Like when I first bought the property, I never even walked it. He wouldn't mm. even let me in the house. Mm. I said, okay, like that's one of the reasons he sold it for 150. He's like, I don't want any inspections. And nothing. you didn't care because it had so much equity. Sure. But when I finally got access to it, I it was the air was so thick I could scoop it with a spoon. It yeah. was it was cat feces for the past thirty years. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yep, I've done those. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, so so we held back thirty thousand dollars, and he ended up taking about seven thousand dollars with him. Um, he wasn't out at the year mark. He was he ended up extending it a little bit further out. And so um, so with that being said, our actual purchase price after the money was one hundred and twenty seven thousand dollars. Okay. So now we add on $80,000, which was our rehab, which is a full gut job, plus the interest of about $30,000 mm-hmm. over that period of time. So we are basically in for about two thirty dollars to two forty. dollars And sold it for four? We haven't sold it. We're keeping it. Oh, it's a burger. okay. Okay. Yep. So uh, it appraised for four ten. dollars Appraised for four ten. dollars Okay, yep. but you're keeping it. Exactly. And uh, we just got it, literally, we just got the tenant in place yesterday. I dropped mm-hmm. off the keys. They are at $2,500 a month. And when we refinanced back out, our payment is, I think, $20,050. So we are, uh, and this is, a, again, a brand new flip. So there's not a lot of deferred maintenance. This is, you know, I'm not really putting a war chest aside for this one that much. Mm-hmm. So we're cash flowing roughly about $400 a month. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, like I said, we're Did in- Did you do a DSCR loan? DSCR, Okay, exactly. so, so if you don't know, a DSCR loan is like a, think a hard money loan, but for buy and hold investors, exactly right? right? So it's a, it's a non-conventional loan, a little higher interest rate. They're going to underwrite the deal and the cash flow from the income, not you, the borrower, so much. Just exactly. like hard money does. Exactly right. It's based off of the asset. It's mm-hmm. not based off of you. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, like I said, it appraised for it, four. And it probably, it, and you probably, it was probably an easy deal because of the equity. Done. Right. Yeah. So, um, super easy to underwrite and get going. It appraised for 410. We have $180,000 of equity now sitting in the property. Mm-hmm. Now, some people would say, why don't you pull that equity out and use it to buy more properties? We're actually intentionally using this as a piggy bank so that we can cross collateralize. So if we need to take some lending from another prop for Which another is, property. in essence, doing the same thing, but yeah. without doing the same thing. Exactly. Right? So, so guys, cross collateralization is when, let's say he does a new deal and that lender says, hey, I'll lend you the money on this deal, but I need some skin. Like, let's say, hey, I need, a, I need you to put some money down. Well, in the form of money down, you've got this other property over here with equity. We'll put a lien on that property in a second position to protect yep. that. So it's in essence, it's it's taking the equity, but not taking the equity, just leaning the equity it's a to protect bank. the lender. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it's like a bank fault to where, for example, let's say we buy a property and I want to borrow $100,000 from a private lender for the rehab. Okay. Well, if that property, if we're buying in, it doesn't have a hundred thousand dollars of equity built into the deal. That lender is not going to feel safe because if, right. if, for example, they had to foreclose on that property, they're not going to get all their money back. If it only sells for three hundred thousand and we bought it for two eighty, mm-hmm. they're only going to get twenty grand back. They're going to lose eighty thousand. So 
By having this bank vault, this piggy bank, it allows us to basically borrow up to $180,000, put it into this property temporarily while this deal is being fixed and worked on. And then mm. when that deal sells, we then pay off this lender. We're now back at back using- Back at uh, equities freed up again. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we just wrapped that one up. Yesterday dropped off the keys awesome. to the tenant. And that's that's good great. One. Good yeah. for you. That's exciting. Well, guys, I hope you got some ideas here from Jeremy, really looking at like multiple ways to do real estate deals. And I just love, Jeremy, about how you're wholesaling, how you're keeping, you're burying, you're doing creative, and really just being a true investor. Thank you. Right? A true investor is being able to look at the opportunities and to be able to then maximize on those opportunities that the market gives you. That's what a real investor does. Yep, exactly right. As a wholesaler, you really are not a real estate investor yet. You're just sales and marketing. But as soon as you buy your first properties and you start to realize how you can manipulate and leverage your equity in deals and play around with them and exchange it to other properties. Like it's, it's a game of chess, but it's a, it's a really fun game of chess. It's fun. And it's, and it's just opens up a world of new opportunities for you. Yep. So guys, hope you got gather, gather some really good ideas from that. Thank you, Jeremy, for uh, sharing that. Um, and if it's all right with you, we'll put your, some of your information, maybe your social in the description below, people that want to follow you. Oh, or, my, my social media. Yeah. My social, social security media. card. Yeah. Not your social security. <laughs> uh, Unless yeah. you want to share that, but no, yeah. your social media and then, uh, and then people can follow you and, and learn Love from it. you. You're sharing some great things out there. So, so appreciate your time and, awesome. and everything you shared here. Guys, we'll see you on the next video.